as speech pathologists, we, we do really get it. We understand the importance of communication and, and social connections. And it's important to learn that how one way of treating or, or working with a, a client isn't necessarily going to be what works for another client in a different state or from a different tribe. If we've got assessment findings that are robust, then we don't have to make any presumptions. And I strongly believe in the value and worth of what we do and the difference we make. Hello, and welcome to Speak Up, Speech Pathology Australia's podcast. Each week, we feature a conversation about an area or topic related to all things speech pathology. Let's hear what this week's contributors have to say. Hello, and welcome to Speak Up. I'm Annika Flynn, and I'm so pleased to have you join me for another fascinating speech pathology conversation. It's been many years since I was a new graduate. I still vividly recall that year being equal parts exhilarating and terrifying, but a year with so much personal and professional growth. I'm so interested to hear about the experiences of the newest members of our profession, and today I'm lucky enough to have four 2021 new graduates join me. Welcome to Bonnie Lang, who works at a large metropolitan private practice. Hi, Bonnie. Hello. Thanks for having me. And welcome to Luke Oldmeadow, who works at a not-for-profit organisation. Welcome, Luke. Hi. Thanks, Annika. Thanks so much for having me. And welcome to Michaela Power, who works at a large metropolitan public hospital. Hi and welcome, Michaela. Hi, Annika. Thanks so much for having me. Lovely to be here. And last but by no means least, welcome to Alicia Bullen, who works regionally at a clinic and school-based private practice. Welcome, Alicia. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for having me. It's so lovely to be here with all of you. So Bonnie, Luke, Michaela and Alicia have very kindly agreed to engage in a panel discussion today and answer all my burning questions about their experiences as a 2021 new graduate. I would love to start by knowing how easy it is to actually get your first job these days. Bonnie, how and when did you get your first job? Well, I started looking um, around June, July last year, um, and I have to say, I think it was maybe too easy to get a job. Um, I think when I was studying, I was sold this storyline that it'll take six months to get a job. There's the possibility that you won't be in work for a year. Um, and so I, I wanted to get in early. Um, but I very quickly realised that there were so many jobs. Now, Luke, I understand you were actually offered a job by the place you were doing your final student placement in. Was that correct? Yeah, that's correct. I was fortunate enough to uh, just stay on where I had that last six-week placement. Um, so that was a really great start for me because I'd met all my clients and I got to just continue on working with them uh, literally the following week after I'd finished the placement. Sounds a bit too easy. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And then um, when I decided that I wanted to move on from there and uh, join like a team environment, uh, uh, I made a LinkedIn account and I found that that was just an influx of uh, being contacted by recruiters for all sorts of jobs at a variety of practices and uh, lots of um, opportunities to interview at variety of practices. So, yeah, I found that there is no shortage of work out there. Right. And Alicia, I'm really interested. You're working in a regional area. How easy was it to get a job in a regional area? 
Yeah, I was actually quite fortunate enough to establish a relationship with my now boss many years ago. I completed work experience with the clinic that I'm now working in and we kept in touch over time. Um, So similar to what Luke and Bonnie have said, it can be quite easy. Um, There are plenty of opportunities to connect with speech pathologists in regional and rural areas via something like LinkedIn. Um, I know we in a regional area are always hiring, always looking for experienced clinicians or even new grads. So there is such a need for speech pathologists in that area. Now, Michaela, your experience is quite different. Um, Obviously, having a job in a hospital setting, uh, what was your experience like getting your first job? Yeah, definitely. And I think listening to everyone talking about how it's been a bit easy to get a job, I think that's been fitting for a lot of my friends. They kind of walked into their paediatric positions um, really luckily and they found a really great fit straight off the bat. I think with adult jobs, it's a bit more competitive in my experience. So I applied for an adult hospital job um, interstate and actually uh, missed out and they gave me some really fantastic feedback. And I think that's probably one of the reasons I was actually really able to get this job that I got is I had that rejection. I had that extra information and a different perspective on my answers. And I think that really helped me build my knowledge and skills and helped me interview better for the next one. So I think for adult jobs, it might be a little bit more competitive in that there's a lot less positions perhaps. And I think a lot more applicants for those positions, particularly in a hospital setting, where I think I heard that for the interstate position I applied for, there was over 150 applicants for one position. Um, where they shortlisted to sort of 10 and interviewed, you know, 10 to 15 and then shortlisted again and then got back to five and you did like two interviews, which I think is very different from a lot of people working in Pete's practice now where maybe they have one interview and it's more about their relationship with the clinicians rather than case studies and, you know, what would you do on the ward and what would you do if this happened and sort of scenario responses. Now, Michaela, can I just ask you, how did you feel when you didn't get that job? Yeah, I think, you know, as anyone would, you feel disappointed because you you invest a lot of time, like these applications for, you know, any job takes a long time and you put a lot of effort and a lot of thought into it. Um, So obviously disappointed and upset because it was a great opportunity that I I unfortunately missed out on. Um, But the people that I was actually interviewed by called me back and they said, look, you know, you were a great applicant, you were a great choice. This is why we liked your application and these are some things that put the person who got the position sort of just uh, just ahead of you over the edge and, and these are some things that you could do next time. And I think that was really very thoughtful of the people who interviewed me and I think that made it sort of, you know, oh, this is okay, this is a learning experience, this is, mm. you know, you're not always going to get the first thing that comes along or maybe not even the, the thing that you want the most. I was really lucky in that I was quite panicked about getting a job because a lot of my friends had paediatric positions sort of two or three months before hospital jobs even started coming out. So I was quite worried that I wasn't going to get anything. And sort of like Bonnie said before, I was going to be those, one of those people that had to wait a year to get a position they were really after um, and ended up being very lucky that there was more hospital jobs that came out and I was able to apply and was, um, I'm very grateful to be successful in getting the position that I've got. So Awesome. Now, I'm really curious to hear from you all about what that process or that transition to the workforce has actually been like. And Alicia, if I start with you, What was that transition process like from being a student to being an employee? 
Yeah, um, I was pretty lucky. I was given three weeks at the end of last year uh, to follow a speech pathologist around. I got to observe what it was like working in a clinic and I got to see the schools that I would be working in while also asking questions and getting a handover of the clients that I'll be working with. I also got to meet the team too, which was really important and make sure that it was the right fit for me. Uh, Still to this day, I'm so grateful for such a detailed and lengthy handover. It really supports the transition from being a speech pathology student to a first year speech pathologist. So it sounds like you were quite happy with that that process. Yes, very happy. What about you, Michaela? The hospital space is very different. What was your transition like? Yeah, my transition was very different to Alicia's. So I actually had sort of one day of joint sessions on my first day. And then on my second day, I was, here's a caseload, you're prepared, you're entry level, we, you know, we trust you to go and take your, take your patient's course if you have any troubles. So in that sort of orientation sort of setting, it was very different to how it might be in a, in a community, just because of the nature of the setting, they don't really have the time to be able to spend that one-on-one time with you all the time but definitely I'm so well supported from the get-go so if I was ever in trouble or concerned or not really sure about my clinical reasoning I have a bunch of phone numbers I can call and sort of eight clinicians that are you know a phone call away and they can come up to the ward and help me or um, talk through my clinical reasoning over the phone and I think in a hospital setting I'm really lucky that if I'm not sure what I'm doing in that moment. I can go, actually, I have to grab a resource from the cupboard. I'll be back in two minutes and kind of step out, plan what I need to do, call someone if I have to, and then step back into the room. I think when I first started, that was a fantastic advantage. Um, Whereas in a clinic with maybe parents or something, that wouldn't be as easy. Um, But even to this day, like I'm very well supported um, doing different competencies and things. So um, different sort of look of how that supervision is but I think very well supported still. Mm. What about you Luke what was your transition like? Yeah well um, when I first uh, in my first position that transition was great because I'd already just done a um, Mm. done a six-week placement there but um, in my most recent position uh, it was quite challenging Uh, there wasn't a gradual easing in process of seeing clients Um, it was just you know, bang from day one um, with with all your caseload happening. Uh, there was some clerical induction in terms of like reading through policies and procedures, um, but yeah, not in terms of easing us into seeing all the clients. It was it was a bit difficult, um, and but it's yeah, it's been good to see that now the um, the place that I work has has implemented a gradual easing in process for the new therapists that are joining the team. So um, they're starting off between one and two clients a day, um, and then that's you know amping up as the as the weeks go as the weeks go on. So it's good that we've sort of paved that way. <laughs> yeah, you just had to go through a difficult time, <laughs> that's right. but that's good. Everyone else is fine now. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Bonnie? What was your transition to the workforce like? I had quite an easy transition and a really well-supported transition, similar to what Alicia was saying. Um, 
I started at the end of last year and had the opportunity to shadow a clinician who was moving into a different role. Coming into 2021, there was still a lot of um, anxiety around commencing a new job, but in saying that, um, it was very gradual. So I was starting off with only one or none <laughs> a day um, and kind of building up from there. And I think it was interesting because in my final placement at the end of last year, I had my own caseload and I was seeing clients um, one after the other. And so moving into this role and only having one or no clients a day, I thought I might get a little bit bored, but it's very different when you are the only person um, who's seeing clients and you have to make all the decisions. So that extra time was um, needed and well used. So you guys are all kind of, I don't know, six, eight months perhaps into your into your first year of working. I'm just really interested to know whether cases are triaged for you or if there's any consideration about the cases that are allocated to you. Michaela, the hospital space I don't know, is that a bit tricky to do that? What happens with case allocation and and triage for you? Yeah, absolutely. A bit difficult in our setting just because when we get allocations, we get them every day. So I turn up to work in the morning and we have a case allocation meeting. And sometimes the allocation um, is based off really minimal information. So we might come in and it's the patient's name, their UR number, which is like their medical hospital number. Um, their age and then just the unit they're under so stroke hematology general medicine Um, so we don't really know what's going on with our patients until you actually read through their files or go to the ward and talk to the nurses or um, talk to the family members whoever's sort of asked for the referral to be put through so it's really difficult in terms of triaging they can't go oh this one would be a good one for Michaela's learning or this would be a good one to consolidate your skills just because we don't know what we're walking into. So very tricky in that sense, Uh, but I'm very lucky in the mornings when we do our board meetings, we call them, where we allocate our patients is I have the opportunity to ask for more or less cases. So if I have um, a few patients that I'm carrying over from the day before for reviews or for fluoros or for anything like that, uh, I can look at my day and say, oh, I think I've only got capacity to take three more or four more or however many. Um, And then I can sort of say when I think that's too many and um, because we're such a flexible team I can say oh I need help with this this patient really needs to be seen and hopefully if they have capacity one of my colleagues will will take that from me and we'll do a bit of a handover as well. Very interesting so Bonnie I know that you definitely have more than zero to one case per or sorry one client per day now Um, is there any triage in your clinic in regards to the complexity of cases that you get allocated? Yeah, so there is a triage process um, at the practice that I work at. There's been situations where clients have been seen and then adjustments have had to be made in terms of that client moving to another clinician um, because it turns out that they weren't appropriate for myself as a new graduate. Hmm. Alicia, what's your experience been? Yeah, I would say it's pretty similar to Bonnie. Um, My caseload is absolutely triaged based on complexity. Uh, Being in a regional area, we do take on all types of cases. However, my workplace understands the need for me and also other new grads to slowly build up the knowledge and experience to take on those more complex cases. 
And Luke, what about you? Is there any triage happening in your workplace? So fortunately, there is a triage system that's in place now, which is really great. Um, but un- unfortunately, it wasn't the case when I started. So I did end up with um, um, you know, quite a handful of some complex clients, um, which which made the transition into work life quite tricky. Mm. Yeah. It wasn't easy by the sounds of it. No, no, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to supervision. Uh, Luke, what sort of supervision do you get um, in your workplace now? So currently it's an hour per week. Um, and yeah, it's, it's hard. I'm finding that that isn't really enough as, as much as I would like it to be, you know. Um, I think I get to talk through about three to four clients probably within that hour. And then, of course, that leaves, you know, 20 odd other clients that I, I'm not talking about. And, um, you know, and as a new grad and with a complex caseload, um, I don't don't think that's ideal for, you know, the clients um, or, or myself, of course. Um, but, yeah, just wanting to offer the best service for the mm. clients. And um, it would be great to have more. Mm. Alicia, what about you? How much supervision do you get? Yeah, so I'm allocated two to three hours a week with my boss who is a senior speech pathologist probably similar to Luke I want more supervision I love supervision especially as a new grad Um, I know my boss though is very flexible and available if I have a tricky client I can give her a call and she can come sit in on a session Um, I also get a lot of informal supervision too. I work in a open plan office with four other speech pathologists. So whenever I'm unsure of something or need help, I can always ask them for support and they are more than happy to help. So I feel, yeah, really lucky. Michaela, what's your experience with supervision? Uh, Similar to Alicia, I work in an office that's open plan with a group of fantastic speech pathologists that are very experienced. So I get a lot of incidental supervision where if I need to talk through a case, then um, they're happy to listen and give feedback and say, oh, next time maybe I would do this or um, otherwise. But I do have an hour of projected supervision time once a week. So that can look like a, a joint session or it could be sitting down and talking through caseloads or how to prioritise non-clinical or whatever I might need during that week that might arise. So it's very much directed by me and what I need. Um, Otherwise, I also have supervision for other like video fluoroscopy um, procedures that I do as part of my competency. And if I request for a joint session or something like that, then they are able to accommodate that. Uh, Through the hospital, we also have all new graduate allied health clinicians um, have a I think six sessions across um, a number of months that are two hour sessions about hospital procedures, policies, mandatory trainings, how to you know proceed through the workforce into different um, clinical areas and um, to become a grade two or become a grade three. Um, so sort of more general allied health supervision we get as a group as well. Great. Now, Bonnie, I understand supervision works a little bit differently in your workplace. Yeah. How does it work? Yeah, so I feel very fortunate to receive the supervision that I do. So I receive 30 minutes of supervision um, every day. And then on top of that, I also receive an hour of um, clinical supervision with my whole team 
a fortnight and then on the alternate fortnight I also receive one hour of early career supervision with our practice principal Um, and in addition to that the supervision sessions are with roughly four or five different speech pathologists so it gives you a good opportunity to speak to clinicians who might have um, particular interest in certain areas or particular experience in certain areas. Um, So the supervision at my workplace is very, very well structured. I'm seeing some very jealous faces (laughs) on our Zoom call. Oh my goodness. That's amazing. I'm so jealous. All right. Let me turn this on to burnout risks. Is, is that real? Is, is new grad burnout a real thing? Michaela, what do you think? Absolutely, burnout is a real thing. And I think um, not just for new grads, for everyone. I think that for new grads, it's especially a big risk because we've gone from having you know 12 weeks on and then holidays to working full time five days a week where you don't get that sort of relief at the end. It's just you keep going and going and going. Um, so things to protect from um, burnout as well. I have, through the hospital, we have mandatory training. So that's things like if you were to walk into a room and a patient was to have a seizure or something like that, how do you respond and respond appropriately? So I think that education that we've been given to prepare us for those situations is really important so that if you're ever in that situation, it's not such a, a risk to your you know, mental health. Uh, we also have EAP, which I think is Employee Assistance Program, which you can access for counselling and things if you need that. So especially in a hospital, we work with high acuity, high acuity caseload, um, which includes palliative care um, and some very unwell patients. Um, I think for me, something that's been really challenging is leaving work at work. And when I first started, it was really difficult for me. I would wake up at three in the morning being, oh, did I forget to put in the diet order? Did I forget to tell the nurse in charge that I wanted this patient to have regular oral cares or be nil by mouth or whatever other recommendations I'd made, I would I'd wake up and panic that I'd forgotten and that that patient was going to be really unwell the next day and it was going to be something that I had done. I think that um, supervision really helped with that. So I was able to debrief debrief with my supervisor and she was able to give me some ideas of things that she does to help Um, so I have a bridge when I'm driving home so as soon as I drive across the bridge it's I'm not allowed to think about work things anymore this after this bridge it's home things and then in the morning it's the same thing so I can think about work things but only from that bridge onwards so I think it's just about setting boundaries and strict boundaries um, to to keep yourself sane I think and um, I think for burnout risks it's just I think you kind of give too much of yourself sometimes and you think, oh, you know, I just, I'll do an extra hour. I'll do, you know, I'll just wrap this up. I'll just quickly finish it where like it can wait for tomorrow. If it was really urgent, you would have done it earlier in the day sort of thing. You just need to make sure that you're looking after yourself to make sure that you're looking after your patients or clients um, and giving them the best care you can. Mm, I love that bridge analogy. That's awesome. Bonnie, has burnout been an issue for you? Um, I think originally when we spoke, Annika, I said that um, I hadn't experienced burnout um, and it wasn't long after that conversation that I found myself um very tired and struggling to get out of bed on the weekend and realized whoops I might have um I might have uh uh danced with um burnout and I think that um 
as speech pathologists, being in a, a caring profession, I think a lot of us feel that we can save the world or, you know, um, uh, fix every stutter that's out there or fix every swallow that's disordered. And I think that it's really hard to not constantly be on and not constantly be thinking about those little people or older people who we're responsible for. Um, so I think burnout is um, absolutely real. And I think until you've maybe experienced it or experienced it a little bit, um, yeah, you think that you can just keep going the way that you are working outside of hours. What about you, Luke? Yeah, I've certainly found burnout a very real struggle for myself. Um, I've been working late nights and most of the weekends and stuff like that. So I've found um, administrative processes and procedures quite um, heavily time consuming. And my perfectionism does not help um, in terms of getting it just getting things done and, and leaving it alone. Um, I'm sort of never satisfied and just spending forever on things. So it's a, it's a work in progress for me. Um, things are getting a bit better, but yeah, um, it, it's a real risk. It really is. Mm. Alicia, do you have any good news or have you experienced burnout also? Oh, oh wow. I was just thinking... It's so interesting hearing all your experiences of burnout because I didn't realize how common it is for us as new grads. I know I agree with everything you've said. I have the bad habit of going into work early or I'll stay back that little bit longer just to get things done. Um, similar to Bonnie, I had a moment where I was really tired and it hit me and I was like, oh, wow, need to take a step back, um, need to really find that work-life balance. Um, I need to take the time to have a break too. I know on a weekend I need to keep myself busy to not think about work and what's coming up for the week. And I'm lucky being in a regional area, there's lots of things that I can do to keep myself busy. You know, there's, I'm surrounded by gourmet food trails, walking trails. I'm an hour from the beach in the snow, um, national parks as well. I love going for walks. So it's important to, yeah, keep yourself busy, keep up the social life um, and try and find that work-life balance. I'm so sorry to hear that. It's um, obviously a real, real issue for new grads and you've all provided some really interesting tips as well, which is awesome. Now, I know that you are all Speech Pathology Australia members, which is wonderful. That's exactly what we want to hear. Bonnie, has there been any benefits for being a SPA member? Definitely. I think um, really the first kind of benefit I noticed from the membership was when I started applying for jobs. The website is really easy to use and you can find jobs through there quite easily. Um, I also found that almost every single job that I looked at, a requirement was that you were a Speech Pathology Australia member. So, reflecting on it I think if I hadn't have been a member it would have been really hard to find a job. Alicia has there been any benefits for you in your spa membership? 
Yeah, I really enjoy the learning hub. There's a lot of face to face workshops and online professional development. I think the online uh, PD opportunities are fantastic because you can do them in your own time at your own pace. Um, I know the spa membership also offers the opportunity to connect with a speech pathology mentor, uh, which is a great option for a new grad who might like some extra support. Michaela, in the hospital setting, does spa membership offer any benefits? Yeah, I think definitely agree with what Bonnie and Alicia have said. I actually have done a few of the um, Learning Hub activities as well before I started, so they were really great. Um, I definitely think in the hospital it's really important for us. We're a public hospital, so um, when patients ask, oh, we really want to see a speech pathologist, but um, we're not really sure what's close to us, the find a speech pathologist tool is really useful. So I find myself putting in patients sort of areas and just printing off lists and lists of pages of speech pathologists to connect them to, which is really useful. Um, I think definitely something that's been great for me is that um, Speech Pathology Australia supports the different um, interest groups, special interest groups, so things like DIG, dysphagia interest group, and um, promotes sort of their events that they have. So they had Ianessa Humbert, who is um, an American speech pathologist specialising in swallowing. They had an event a couple of weeks ago, which I went to, um, and part of the reason I knew about that was through SPA. So I think that was really, really useful for me. Awesome. Now, Luke, I believe you joined up as a student member. So was that beneficial, joining SPA as a student member? Yeah, for sure. It was really good to get the first year um, when you apply as a student member for free. And then um, it made it cheaper for your first year out into the workforce as well, having been a student member. Um, and yeah, I think another ben- a great benefit is uh, having some access to some magazine and journal articles that um, you lose access to once you've finished at uni. So. So that's really important. Keep up to date. Yeah. And hopefully you guys are not reading them on the weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. I'm sure we'll have some um, students listening to this podcast that will be our 2022 new grads. I'm just wondering whether any of you would have some tips as to questions that are really useful to ask in an interview. Michaela, what sort of tips would you have for um, next year's new grads if they were applying for a hospital-based job? What sort of questions are really useful for them to ask in that interview? Yeah, I think that in a hospital interview specifically, I think that you would want to know more about uh, what professional development opportunities are available. Um, because I think that, so at the hospital that I'm at, there is access to journal articles, there is like internal professional development that the, that the department offers. I think that's been really useful. I think because when I started, I was supposed to be in a stroke neuro role, but I also covered gen med caseloads and things like that, that they don't really talk about at uni so much because that's not really what they expect that you go into, I suppose, um, straight off the bat at least. So I think that would be really useful. I think something that I found challenging as a new grad is about prioritising non-clinical time so you know is there projected admin time is there supports to be able to meet KPIs is there sort of expectations about how fast I'm supposed to meet these KPIs and um, I think that's really important to know what their expectations are of you before you start I think the most important thing for me is 
having a, a good gut feeling. I had a couple of interviews and um, not for hospital jobs before I interviewed for hospital positions where sort of it didn't really sit right with me and I ended up getting yelled at sort of for declining the position over the phone, which was really a terrible um, experience. So I think that um, trust your gut feeling. If you feel really comfortable with the people who are interviewing you, um, then that's a really good sign. But I think also just asking them to describe how they would describe their team or their team environment um, will give you a lot of insight into what they are like as a company or as a group. Um, and I think that's really important to feel like that you could belong to that group and to be able to get what you need out of them. So I think it's just about knowing what you want to get out of the position and making sure you ask the right questions to make sure that they're the right fit for you as well as you being the right fit for them. Bonnie, would you have any tips? What sort of tips would you have for questions that people could ask in an interview? Yeah, so I think um, if I was going for another job or if I was going for a position um, this year, I think I'd definitely ask about structured supervision. I'd be asking, um, do they have structured supervision? What does it look like? How often is it? And for how long? Um, I think I'd also be asking about um, how many clients you're expected to see a day, particularly in private practice. Um, and I'd also want to know a little bit about the team. So I'd be asking in private practice, um, how big is your team? Uh, what's the experience of your team? Because I think that you can then look out for um, situations where the practice might be very new and they might not have experience with new grads um, and those sort of things. Great. Luke, would you have any tips? Yeah, for sure. I think that um, shadowing is something that's really important um, to be asking about in an interview. So is there the opportunity to shadow some of your clinicians? You know, um, for me, it was invaluable working um, where I had had my six week placement because I'd been able to shadow my clinical educator for the six weeks before starting in the role. So that was fabulous and uh, something that I sorely missed when I when I moved on to my current workplace. So yeah, I'd be suggesting that one. Mm. Alicia, would you have any tips in addition to those? Yeah, just in addition to what Bonnie said about getting to know the team um, and what the team environment is like, um, the interview is a great time if you can. It may not always be possible, but talking to other team members, I know possibly the uh, supervisor will interview you, but I got to talk to a new grad at the workplace and ask her some questions about the workplace. And that provided a whole other perspective of what the job might be like. Um, and also just to add on for Michaela as well, I would be asking about the professional development opportunities that are available to uh I remember talking in my interview, uh, we discussed PD and there was some types of PD that I really wanted to do. Uh, and I think it's really important to, as a speech pathologist, we are lifelong learners. So it's good to know what your possible future workplace can offer too. Great. They're awesome tips. Now, just listening to all of you guys, I kind of feel like there are some red flags, though, that you may have come across in some of your interviews that might have suggested don't take this job. Luke, were there any red flags that you've had in interviews that make you think, oh, that's not the right job for me? 
Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that a very large red flag for me has been um, all previous staff having left the <laughs> practice. <laughs> oh, yeah, um, that's a yeah, big one. <laughs> it's a pretty big one. Um, <laughs> yeah, so then, you know, not having anyone to help you settle in, to show you the ropes around the place, uh, to introduce you to what sort of resources are available and that sort of thing um, has just added to the pressures of of work life being tricky anyway and then it's made it more challenging um try, just trying to learn what's what's available to us as we've muddled along mm, okay alicia what about you what sort of red flags might jump out at you that you would think i'm just not going to take that job yeah i think you might uh find some red flags maybe in the interview uh your initial interview is a great time to kind of see what the workplace is like. The interview is a time for employees to get to know you, but it is also a time for you to get to know them. Um, you can see what the workplace is like and what how many people are in the team and if the caseload will suit you. Uh, so definitely use that interview to kind of weigh up how you feel and if you think the job is a good fit for you. Now, Michaela, I think you kind of raised some red flags already, but was there any other sort of red flags that you might suggest to people that might just make you think that this job's just not right? Yeah, I think that you need to, as I said, try and trust your gut feeling because I think that if it feels off, then it probably is off. Um, so in my interview, um, one of them, I had a really uncomfortable experience where I felt they were being forcefully positive and kind of trying to push really hard for giving you information didn't really sit well with me. Um, so I declined it and it was a really negative experience for me. Um, so I think that definitely if it's not something that you feel comfortable with, then you have to work there ongoing. So if you're not feeling comfortable in a really short interaction like an interview that might go for, you know, half an hour, an hour, then, you know, long-term, is it going to be something that suits you? Um, that's really important to consider. I think even just looking into the company, I think Alicia touched on it before, but just Googling them and seeing what comes up, what are people's opinions of them? What do clients say? I think that will tell you quite a lot. Um, in a hospital, I think that's been a bit different. Um, that was more, more before I started applying for hospital jobs and I'd applied for a few different community positions. Um, I think hospital-wise, I was really lucky in that I had done a placement at this hospital, so I actually knew the team and had people I could talk to and ask questions of, um, and I knew that it was a really good, positive environment. So I think that was really helpful. But I think, yeah, definitely try and find out as much as you can. It's not going to hurt to know more. Mm. Bonnie, would you have any red flags in addition to those? I think, again, um, and it's probably a little bit similar to what Luke was saying, just in regards to um, potentially staff turnover, but I was more so thinking about um, the experience of the staff. So I remember that I interviewed with a practice that had quite an experienced clinician, but the team was made up predominantly of clinicians who were very early on in their career. And I remember thinking to myself that I really wanted to access the minds of speech pathologists who have had a lot of experience. And I felt that it wasn't going to um, be a great 
move for me if I went into a practice and was surrounded by people who were all similarly like myself trying to find their way through um, a role as a speech pathologist. Awesome. I have one final question for you all. You've been so patient and wonderful. (laughs) And my final question is, what tips would you have for our 2022 new grads? Alicia, what what sort of tips would you have for them? Oh, gosh, it's crazy to think there's a new group of new grads. I still feel like a brand new new grad. Um, I would make sure you go for the job you really want. We've talked on all the how many jobs there are for people out there. Make sure you go for the job you really want and one that you will enjoy. I know we've talked about also red flags and the risk of burnout, but I really love my job and I think that makes it so much easier to get up and go to work, um, especially with all the learning that we do too. I would also say if you are looking for an exciting change or want to step into a different environment, I highly recommend looking for a job in a regional or rural area. It's an experience like no other and I find it's really rewarding too. You get the opportunity to build strong relationships with clients and their families who really value your work and they are just so grateful for everything you do. It's really special. And being in a small area, you get to communicate with other health professionals directly. You get to build a great rapport with occupational therapists, psychologists, teachers. Uh, There's a strong sense of community involvement. So you really are a part of something really special. So if you would be interested, I highly recommend it. That is such a great advert, Alicia. (laughs) Awesome advert. (laughs) It's true, I promise. I know, I can see, I can hear your passion. It makes me want to have a tree change, definitely. Um, Michaela, what would be your tips for our our 2022 new grads? I think what Alicia said was fantastic about, um, you know, burnout is a risk and I think it's a risk for everyone no matter where you work. But if you love what you do, it's worth pushing through. It's worth finding a way to manage it. So I think... Um, I think that was just a really great point but I think my top tip would be be yourself Um, it sounds really simple but um, you can learn anything else you can do PDs you can seek supervision you can find out you can do more information you can do research there's a million ways you can learn other skills but nobody can teach you how to walk into a room and be a person that patients find company to talk to or that people feel they can they can trust and I think that by being being yourself and um, I think a lot of speeches that I know anyway naturally have a lot of really positive personality traits to offer and I think that's what makes people trust us and makes people want to be involved in our service so I think you can learn anything else um, just make sure that you're yourself. Well said that's very well said Michaela. Bonnie what tip would you have for our 2022 new grads? I think it's really important to be yourself and I think Alicia touched on it briefly before that the interview process is very much two-sided. It's not just you interviewing um, for that job, it's also you interviewing the company to see whether they're the right fit for you and I think that 
if you're true to yourself and you feel like it's a good fit, that is a great first start. Um, I had a parent say to me, you're young, but you really care. And I think that um, where I try to pride myself on how much I care about what I do and how much I care about my job. And so she's aware that I, I'm young, but it's okay because I care and I've tried to stay true to who I am. That's awesome. Luke, what about you? What would your final tip be for our 2022 new grads? Well, I promise I'm not being paid or sponsored by them to say this, but I would absolutely say get on to reading Hannon books now. <laughs> um, there's just, I just felt there's so much in uni that's just brushed over or um, was touched on in a lecture, uh, but just not probably trained or prepared enough to provide therapy for things like play, play skills, social skills, things like that. Um, so yeah, get on to Hannon, guys. <laughs> I love it. I cannot thank you all enough for sharing all your wonderful insights. I actually feel really proud to be a speech pathologist listening to you all. And I just feel that we are so lucky to have all of you as part of our profession. So thank you so very much for joining me and all the best for a wonderful career ahead. Thank Aww, you. Thanks thank you. So and thank you to everyone for listening. And we will be back in your ears next Wednesday with another Speak Up Conversation. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your colleagues. Thank you for listening and bye for now.